Hi everyone, I just have a couple quick things that I want to say to you before we get started. First off is that we have launched a sticker club, which you can join on our website, thegailyprofit.com shop. And when you sign up for a membership, you will receive an exclusive sticker in the mail every month. It's very cool. And it will only become an official thing if we get 50 people signed up by November 30th, because 50 is the smallest number of stickers we can order. So if you're interested, please run over and join right now. If you are one of our patrons, yes, indeed, your Patreon discount code will apply to your sticker membership. Second thing, I just want to say thank you to all of our patrons for buying me the mic that you are currently hearing me on, and you will notice when you listen to the episode that I sound much better in the intro than I do in the episode, and that is thanks to you, our patrons. Third thing, we joke in this episode about how a Buffy tangent is like LOL for our Buffy podcast, but after recording this, we did in fact launch a Buffy podcast. It's called We Are the Gayers. It is now available on Patreon. It's fantastic. You're gonna love it. So that is all and I will stop talking so you can listen to this fantastic episode. Uh, tell me more about how his eyes look, Simon. It's almost <laughs> as if Simon enjoys being chastised by Baz or something. Like, is this how you describe your enemies? It's really not. Hot. Yeah, like, basically. <laughs> I feel like I just want to be, like, quote-unquote enemies for every time we bring up that. You want to get sexy? Yeah, let's get to the sexy stuff. Hello, and welcome to Escape from Reality, a podcast where two queer IRL witches read Carry On by Rainbow Rowell and talk about it. I am Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Jesse Blount, and today we are talking about chapters 42 and 43 of Carry On, in which we are in Simon's POV, and it's the morning after Simon tells Bess that he will help him. Our duo call a truce to their antagonism, complete with a magical oath and awkward handholding. At breakfast, Penny is snubbing Simon because she's still defending the mage. When Simon has time to meet Baz back in their room, he reminisces about the time that Baz was a dick to him, including attempted murder. Baz has magic a chalkboard for their brainstorming session like the nerd that he is. Baz is also disappointed that Penny doesn't know what's up as she's clearly the brains to Simon's brawn. They start by writing out what they do know, Nicodemus, and what Baz remembers. Chapter 43, Baz. This is what Baz remembers about being five before and during the vampire attack. Not a whole lot, turns out. He remembers the nursery and some of the babies that were in there and the vampires themselves and his mother setting them on fire and then also the look on his mother's face when the vampires bit him. And tragically waking up to his dad and fiona casting healing spells and his mother gone yep yep a brief reminder we are spoiling everything from this book but nothing from the sequels and uh other reminder please go leave us a review that's how people decide whether or not they want to listen to podcasts and the more positive reviews there are the more likely people are to get on board so do that. 
And uh, with that, let's get into... Easy come, easy go, where we talk about everything that doesn't belong anywhere else. I think you should start. I don't have a lot here this week. I just have two things. The first one is that the line where Simon says that he thinks Baz gets away with being a vampire by looking like one. (laughs) (laughs) Which is kind of ridiculous. I love it, and I kind of buy it. Where it's like, he's like... It would be too ridiculous to accuse him of being a vampire because he, like, looks like he's fucking Dracula. I don't know. I like it. I also just like that he's written to look like a vampire. Like, (laughs) kudos, Rainbow Rowell. That's very funny and great. I know. The the widow's peak, I think, is what kills me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you just, like, imagine him putting on the, uh, you know, red-lined vampire cloak and just looking like the fucking (laughs) vampire emoji. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's the only emoji Baz ever texts with. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, you're 100%. You're 110% correct. (laughs) My first thing is that I love how Simon is like, uh, this isn't, we're not avenging anything. And it's like, bro, you're on an avenging quest. Like, you just need to accept that. Like, what do you think was going to happen when Baz finds the person who, like, is responsible for, like, his mom's death? They're just going to, like, shake hands? Bro, obviously. (laughs) This is a rolling rampage of revenge. Get with it. Yeah, and also, even even if Simon's like making some sort of designation between like arresting the person versus murdering the person in his brain the end result is that in fact not baz but simon himself will be killing the person who kills baz's mom that's true so he's super wrong about how this is gonna play out yeah i'm like oh my sweet tender babe please yeah the sooner you realize what kind of what's going on the better yep (sighs) um that was actually my other one so it's all you okay simon describes baz pulling out like a pepperoni roll and also a pot of tea and i'm like is he just does baz just pull like like a full pot of tea out of his bag like fucking mary poppins because that is immediately (laughs) what i was envisioning (laughs) Mm, yes (laughs) out of his i'm sure a fancy expensive italian leather bag or something totally uh you know i i kind of caught on that too it was like a pot of tea like how and your explanation solves that problem so yes (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) or maybe he up up and away that too Flying tea. (laughs) It's It's like somehow on top of the like flying chalkboard. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I guess if you like live at a magical school, if you're just playing football and you see like a chalkboard go flying, you're probably like, eh, Tuesday. Yeah. Just keep keep going. Yeah. No, that probably. (laughs) Yeah. What else? 
My other thing is just my serious several crying emojis in Baz's very short chapter, which is little baby Baz telling all the babies and calling them little puff is like the cutest fucking thing I've ever read in my life. And I'm like, oh my God. It's so sweet. It's so tender. (laughs) I I was like reading it like I literally can't with this right now. I know. I want to talk a little more about that in our silhouetto section okay. about Baz. Uh, one last thing, which is Baz mentioning that there's like a rabbit mural on the ceiling of the nursery, mm-hmm. which I believe actually appears in Fangirl in Kath's. It does. Okay. I always make sure I'm like, this sounds so familiar. I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is in Fangirl. All right. Great. Yep. If you want more information about that mural, you should definitely read Fangirl, which is very cute. You should read it anyway. It's I yeah I love the continuity between that. There are actually some lines of like dialogue that are directly from Fangirl. Oh, I didn't notice. It's been a while since I've read Fangirl. I see a little silhouette of a man. Welcome to I See a Little Silhouette of a Man, where we talk about character development. I think just Baz this time, right? Yeah, we get we get a lot about uh, small small Baz, baby Baz, and uh, the most traumatic mem- moment of his life. Yeah. Which, side note, I have to say I like the way this chapter is written because it's very like. It's very sparse and there's a lot of just like short sentences and it's sort of like it's sort of like fragmented in a way that is I really like because he only remembers bits and pieces of this time. And part of me's like, Yeah, duh, your brain has blocked out a lot of this fucked up shit that's happened to you. <laughs> so Yeah. And I feel like that's also how early childhood memory works too. And yeah, it just it feels really real and it feels a lot like how I imagine if Baz was like doing like the preliminary discussion of this trauma with like a therapist, that's this is what it would look like. Yeah. Or it's like this, you know, here's what I remember previous to the attack, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's just like a green train, this one girl who bit me. And then this very tender thing that you brought up of how he would tend to the babies uh which both more evidence of like how sweet his mom was with him and also what a caring tender little child he was this is baz pre his like cool demeanor affect kicked in or was forced in and you know, there are lots of different kinds of kids and not all kids are like, oh, I want to like take care, comfort a crying baby. But some are like kids who are, I mean, he's a Pisces. So, so, but like, that's very soft. And that's like, I feel like Baz could have been very soft as, as he aged had he been given the opportunity. Yeah. And I mean, he still would have had this sort of like the pressure and trappings of being the heir of this like old magical family. But I think you're right in that I think that 
from what we get of Natasha, he that that kind of like early kindness wouldn't have been buried so deep. Yeah, it's hard to think about hard like emotionally to think about. It seems like he came from or he grew up early in a very like emotionally expressive household. His parents' relationship wasn't I I know I don't know cuz it's this my only like point of reference for this is like it, not you haven't watched the Gilmore Girls so it like doesn't do anything <laughs> for our conversations so like my point of reference for this is like the Gilmores but like I feel like s- typical like TV and movie depictions of like very wealthy families where the the adults the parents have this very sort of tempered relationship with one another that's based a lot around appearances right mm-hmm. Even uh, what we see with, like, Agatha's parents, I think, later in the book, it's very, like, sort of performative. And it sounds like Baz came from this this very, like, close family. His parents were deeply in love with one another and expressed that love. And, you know, I assume that before his mom died, his dad probably also was tender with him and, like, not encouraging Baz to be, like, emotionally closed off. Yeah, and, like, definitely depending on, like, what kind of relationship Fiona had with him before he was turned, like, there is nothing that suggests that it wouldn't be the same with her also. And I I feel like you kind of get the sense of that in Natasha's absence, where, like, Baz and Fiona have such a deep pain from Natasha's death. And, like, you really only get that kind of effect if it's, like, such a loss of a loved one. Yeah. It's sad. I know. <laughs> it's <really> sad. <laughs> I know. Someone needs to give Baz a hug. Simon wants to do it, but he doesn't realize it yet. Yeah. <laughs> Which we will get to. We will. <laughs> oh um, I think that's all I have here. Do you have anything else? Um, I just want to point out that Natasha Grimpich sounds scary as fuck. She does. Baz sort of, it's almost like nonchalantly where he sort of mentions that he, during the vampire attack, he notices his mother's blue flame before he notices her. And that is like, she could just like effortlessly conjure fire and keep it burning with her magic, like without effort. And like, it's like everything is on fire around Baz and like, that is not that that's not that that doesn't concern him because he's just so used to like his mother's abilities. Right. But like reading it, it's sort of like which I feel like the the scene in the nursery is kind of what I imagine, you know, when you get scenes in movies and televisions where it's like four alarm fires and it's just like beams are collapsing and there's just flame everywhere and like that's just sort of what I'm imagining and then Ben just being like whatever until like the vampire grabs him and it's just like that is scary just the amount of power that that takes is like damn bitch (laughs) (laughs) you're just you're just out here light lighting a bunch of vampires on fire like just that's yeah i don't know yeah yeah she is very very powerful i hadn't really thought about that that's a really good point that he he's not turned towards her She's behind him and he recognizes her presence by recognizing the fire that she creates. Like, yeah, that is, there's something really incredible about that information. 
I mean, not to bring the mood even more down, it's kind of like the maybe the last moment where like an adult in Baz's life does a thing and he's like, oh, this it'll be okay because my mom's lighting oh shit on fire. It'll be fine. God. I know. Oh God. <laughs> I'm sorry. See, how I'm dare sorry. you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I know. Oh, God. <laughs> My heart. I know. It's so rude. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> good talk about politics. Welcome to Face the Truth, where we talk about politics and things that are fucked up up the mage took all the magic books out of the library this is literally (laughs) because that is some straight up bullshit what the actual fuck (laughs) that's my exact note (laughs) what the fuck and it's like i get it i mean no correction i see where the mage is going where he's like you know, language evolves, we need to evolve, we need to make sure that we're not just using the same spells from Shakespearean texts that we've been using for, like, 300 years or whatever the fuck. Yeah. But those two can coexist. Like, you can have these old magical books and then regular, normal literature without being like, good luck trying to find some spells that we're not teaching you or what have you. And I'm just like... You just went in totally opposite direction of the censorship being like, fuck it. I know. It's, oh, I mean, the mage, this is, again, this is such a beautiful illustration of the complicated nature of the mage, which is like, I also have the note, what the fuck, around the fact that previous to the mage, magicians tried to force normals to get back into old media so that they could keep using like the classics as spells and like that's fucked up so it's like the mage is right they should not be doing that but also that shouldn't mean that you take all the magic books out of the library at the magic school come on come on why can you it's like stop overcorrecting for the love of God. It's like he has one mode of fixing things and it's too far. That's the mode. Yeah, it's very like scorch and like salt the earth behind him. And it's like, <laughs> yes. that doesn't help either. You're still destroying something. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, can you imagine Penny like rolling up to the library and being like, what the actual fuck? No, I I mean, yes, I can, but I, like, her, I feel like I feel the, the, like, horror and frustration that she must have felt, assuming she was there, um, but, like, no, go ahead. I just have a, a lighter note for you, since I definitely made you very upset in the last, in the last <laughs> session, which is mages trying to bring back Victorian literature to normals by forcing steampunk into (laughs) cultural vernacular. Is Baz Luhrmann a mage? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yes. Right? It's like, what better way to get the normals to start, like, re-embracing Shakespeare than to make, like, modern adaptations? Maybe that whole thing in the 90s of, like, 10 Things I Hate About You and The Lion King and, like, all of that was actually mages in Hollywood trying to get people to start caring about Shakespeare again. Mm-hmm. It's like that, and it's steampunk, and it's the, like, twice-a-season Victorian-era episodes of uh, the newer seasons of Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Like why? Why everyone's going back to Victorian age? Who knows? Doesn't matter. The top hats. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's purely for the aesthetics. It's like look how fancy everyone looks. It's so, fun. So many mages at Comic Con being like, you know what's really cool? Goggles and <laughs> Dickens. <laughs> You know what? Now I'm here for it. I'm like, yeah, get the normals to care about the classics. Listen, listen, it's all, it's all, it's all here. How many adaptations of A Christmas Carol are there? Like, people love them. Some uh, modern adaptations of Shakespeare. So good, so good. Just imagining all the mages out there writing Shakespeare in Love and. <laughs> What was that? A Knight's Tale? There was a whole, a whole, a whole situation going on. Yeah, is there, and there, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a straight up adaptation, but there's that, the 90s version of Much Do About Nothing with mm-hmm. Keanu Reeves in it <laughs> and Denzel Washington. <laughs> yeah, there was a, a Midsummer, Midsummer's Night's, mm, a Midsummer's Night. I don't know where the S's go in that, but you know, that that one. It had some famous people in it. I was very into it as a kid. I mean, it's full of like fairies and shit. Actually, that's the one I think I've only ever seen performed at my college theater department. So maybe I should watch one of the movies. Because that one's really cool. It's like fairies and magic and It's very funny and like lewd too. You should totally watch it. The The movie that came out in the 90s was very good and very sparkly. You know. It's right up my alley. It's very fun. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> my only other thing here is that uh, we learn that Baz was the only kid turned in the vampire attack, which does make me think that the mage specifically ordered or like requested that he be turned. Mm-hmm. presumably both because it would make Natasha very, very upset, but also because it would effectively end the pitch line mm-hmm. in a way that was like sort of worse than if they had just killed him. Yeah. Although he didn't mean to have for Natasha to die, which I guess she could have like had another kid. I don't know. It just seems intentional that Baz was turned if no other kids were. Right. Yeah, it's like, it feels very intentional and also in a very like sort of twisted edgelord poetic justic bullshit where it's like, <laughs> oh, a bunch of fire mages, I'm gonna turn you into a fucking vampire where you're oh, so yeah. fucking flammable. And it's like, chill out, the mage. 
just have the slightest <laughs> bit of chill. <laughs> he can't. <laughs> no. He's too busy in his black ch- trench coat being edgy. <clears throat> I almost said listening to Tool, but I'm like... No. Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, definitely. Definitely Rage Against the Machine. Just <sighs> no offense to Rage Against the Machine or its listeners, but definitely that was the Mage's jam. Listen, Rage Against the Machine is very good, but let's be real, people, especially millennials, you know that 90% of the white dudes listening to Rage Against the Machine totally misinterpreted what the fuck Rage Against the Machine was about, (laughs) as seen by all of the (laughs) tweets and memes about older white dudes being like, I can't believe Rage Against the Machine is so fucking leftist. And it's like, my dude, what machine do you think they're Rage Against? All right, all right. Welcome to Caught in a Landslide, where we rant about stuff. I just have one thing, which is, in our last episode, we talked about the fact that Simon and Penny have this pact where they tell each other everything, no secrets. Mm-hmm. And we see Penny honoring that pact, <clears throat> honoring that pact so intentionally that she's betraying her mom, who told yeah. her not not just not to tell anyone, but explicitly not to tell Simon. And Penny's like, nope, my commitment to Simon is greater than my commitment to my mom. I'm telling Simon. And now we have Simon breaking that pact. And he's been breaking it by omission up until this point. He hasn't told her anything, but he hasn't directly lied to her about anything. Yeah. But now he's explicitly lied to her about the situation. And even though I agree with him that it's Baz's business and not Penny's business, I am also, I also really don't like it that he has broken her trust this profoundly, even though it's like, it was yesterday yeah. that he like saw the depths of her commitment to that pact that they have. Does that make sense? No, it makes a, it makes a lot of sense because there's definitely a way he could have like mentioned it to Penny with you know with keeping some personal details or whatever private without you know not honoring this pact between them. Yeah, I mean, I think that he could have been like, "I'm going to help Baz with something. It's like not about me." And it's like his business and I need to get his consent before talking to you about it. Like, I'm not keeping a secret from you that has anything to do with me. Like, it's it's Baz's business and, like, I can't tell you unless he gives me permission. And, like, she's not going to like that and she's going to bug him about it. But I feel like he owes her that. Yeah, for sure. I think, I'm glad that you brought this up because I think it's interesting because I feel like the reason... The real reason that he hasn't told Penny about it is because he doesn't want Penny questioning his feelings about helping Baz or, like, keeping the secret or, like, you know, examining any of his sort of feelings that he doesn't want to even necessarily think about in this sort of, this sort of thing that, like, connects him to Baz 
outside of their rivalry. Mm-hmm. You know, and this chance really to get closer to Baz outside of their rivalry. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. He doesn't want to be questioned because then he might question it himself and he mm-hmm. might change his mind. Yeah. Heaven forbid that uh, Simon question any of his uh, strong feelings about Baz. Which leads us very nicely into our next section. If you're Welcome to Send Shivers Down My Spine, where we talk about sexy stuff. There's some really great things inside this chapter. We sure do. We get a very, uh, I dare say, loving description about Baz's hair (laughs) at different times of the day. Yes, and um, some information about the fact that Simon has some preferences about how Bass does his hair, like you do with yeah. your enemy. <laughs> of course, of course, and uh, you know, and the and the placement of his uh, nearly perfect nose that is a little bit crooked because Simon punched him in the nose. See, these are the feelings he does not want. Questioning about. Oh. He's like, Penny, you just should have seen his face when he saw that childhood picture. Like, someone blew a horn and all his walls fell down. And she's like, how do you know what Baz looks like when he feels that way? And Simon's like, well, you know. (laughs) I've I've been studying him very closely as, uh, you know, you do with your mortal enemy. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Also, the innuendo in this chapter. (laughs) Wait, say which innuendo? Let me read it to you. Baz gives the knot in his tie one last tug, then turns to me, putting on his jacket. You're not getting off. I sit up. What? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, what indeed? (laughs) I I noticed that too. I was like, hmm. Yeah, what a <laughs> an interesting choice of wording there for literally first thing in the morning. Yeah, Simon must have been so uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> he just started sweating immediately. <laughs> He's not right? quite sure why. He's like, Bash, shut the window, so it's already too hot in here. And it's, oh like, it's like, is it too hot, Simon, or is that just you? Yeah. He's already he's already a little flushed, and it's like, my dude. Yeah, <laughs> that's not because of the window being. <laughs> Is this just fantasy? Welcome to Is This Just Fantasy, where we talk about magic and science and magical science. We get a new spell. An Englishman's word is his bond, which is an oath spell, which is cool. And I believe the first spell that we get that is region specific. Oh, yeah. Because that spell's not going to work if both parties aren't British. Yeah. Now I'm trying to think of what the American version of that spell would be. I think it's pinky swear. You're totally right. 
I spent some time. I was like, <laughs> I need the answer to this question. I'm pretty sure it's Pinky Promise. Yeah. Which is not nearly so eloquent, <laughs> but I mean, what about America is? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's definitely Pinky Swear. <laughs> yeah. If, uh, if you live somewhere where Pinky Promises aren't as much a thing as they are here, it's the most intense kind of promise one can make. In theory, in children, it's because if someone breaks the promise, you get to break their pinky. But so I think over time, it just turns into like an, a fucking oath. I mean, yeah. That's that's how you get like, you know, that someone really fucking means it when they make you a promise is you're like pinky swear and they're like pinky swear. You don't even have to physically do it. But it helps, though. It does help. <laughs> that's incredible. I'm really yeah. glad that you thought about that. Because I did not until literally this moment. <laughs> yeah, what else? Uh, I just want to point out that we learn in the... I mean, obviously this would have given the game away, but uh, Baz has a reflection, which is not a common thing that vampires have in vampire media. I am so relieved that Baz has a reflection because the fucking no reflection thing is one of the things about vampire lore that I like the least. It doesn't make any fucking sense. That's not how physical objects work. (laughs) This is true. I just hate it. So I'm really relieved that Bass has a reflection. But I will say, though, don't you want to imagine Spike from Buffy taking a bajillion Polaroids of himself to figure out what his hair looks like? Yes. (laughs) I don't think that a Polaroid would work, right? Because cameras pre-digital use mirrors as part of their the way that they work i thought buffy vampires showed up on camera they do but they shouldn't fair apparently joss whedon's explanation of why they show up on like video and cameras is metaphysics which is not an explanation at all no but spike with the advent of digital cameras would have been very stoked (laughs) to be like oh my god finally i can put on my eyeliner without having to guess Mm -hmm. though i would assume that drusilla probably a lot of times helps him put on his eyeliner i was about to say the same thing but then they (laughs) broke up and he had to do it on his own so this is true yeah a lot a lot of trial and error anyway welcome to our uh, surprise (laughs) buffy podcast i'm re-watching buffy right now and recently watched the episode where Buffy is momentarily psychic and she's trying to like read Angel's mind and he's like it's like the mirror the thoughts are there but they cast no reflection (laughs) I just hate it so much (laughs) oh man I should watch the Halloween episodes those are a good thing to watch at Halloween they really are uh such good Halloween episodes Anyway, and yes. <laughs> now back to our regularly scheduled program. <laughs> yes, uh, we learn about the fact that global warming has led to protected magical species, which I love. I love it also. That's like my other thing because it would, duh. And I'm like, totally I'm glad that it's like it's such a like just a throwaway line, but I'm like the implications of that is incredible, and I'm so obsessed yeah also duh right yeah i think i think it's also just like such a relief again as compared to other magic media that is 
separate from the real world, but coexisting with it, where we just don't get acknowledgement of things like this. And the fact that mages are dealing with the repercussions of climate change along with us presumably means that they, if they had the power to do something about it, would have. And that is acknowledged just by that one, like, single piece of information. It is just really nice. Yeah. And it's actually really unfortunate that people don't incorporate that into their fantasy more. Like, how cool would it be to read a story about mermaids dealing with, like, fucking plastic in the ocean and, like, the coral reefs dying off and shit? Or, like... By cool, do you mean horrifying? (laughs) I mean, I guess in my brain, I'm also imagining them murdering a lot of people, but maybe that's just me. (laughs) Oh, yeah, okay, if that's the direction it's going. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, let me know if you've read any fantasy books that involve dealing with magical creatures and climate change, because I am very interested. (laughs) I forgot what the name of the species, what those uh, critters are called, but I also just really like them themselves. Snow the devils? S- snow devils, yeah. And they just, they don't even have like eyes or mouths, just eyebrows and hands, which is amazing. Amazing. It's, it's, it's very like Looney Tune, like cartoon esque to just have like eyebrows and hands. I imagine cl- them in claymation, sort of. Mm like the way that the eyebrows would like the way that they would wriggle if it was claymation and doing a <laughs> finger movement listeners <laughs> but... <sighs> yeah they're great yeah yeah are we good um oh wait sorry I have one one last thing that i want to bring up is during uh simon and baz's oath simon makes the most disgusting comparison about other people's magic is being like their spit. And I'm like, being like their spit. And I'm like, dude, what? That is, what? Gross. I know. I hate it so much. Uh... And it's also like, are you only thinking about this because you want to kiss Bass? Like, where? Like, what? Yes, probably. <laughs> it's funny because, like, I just finished editing episode 14 today before we before we recorded and we have a long rant in that about like conversations about spit and how much we don't like it and then i like read the chapters and i was like again like why why is this here why is this happening uh and then i just didn't write it down because i was grossed out but i i think it's fair that you brought it up yeah, I really did not need that description. <laughs> no. And what is like two, you know, very well written chapters, I'm like, I didn't I didn't need that. Yeah, I feel like with the issues that I have with like viscous saliva things. and like viscous things generally, I'm like, it's a miracle that I am able to like engage in kissing. And then things like this, I'm like, how dare you? Like, <laughs> I don't know. You're going to like, I'm going to have to take a week off from like making out as a result of reading this line. It sounds very sad. So I don't, I don't want that for you. <laughs> anyway. Uh, all right. Are we done? We are done. 
All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of Escape from Reality. Next time we will be reading chapters 44 and 45. So read up on those. Uh, Escape from Reality is produced, mixed, and edited by me, Lark Malachi Gray. And uh, you can find us all over the internet through our other podcast, The Gaily Prophet. That's G-A-Y-L-Y. That's our Instagram and Twitter handles. That's how you spell our website. And that's our Patreon slash. So, you know, go forth and find us all of the places. It's fun. Also, if you like this podcast, you should totally leave us a review wherever you're listening to podcasts. Um, We read every one of them and they make our day. And you should also tell your friends about our podcast because we are real fun to listen to. You should also tweet at Rainbow Rowell about our podcast, because I feel like at this point it's probably time for her to know about what we're up to. And we're shy. So (laughs) you do it. find me on the internet on instagram at lark malachi that's l-a-r-k-m-a-l-a-k-a-i that is also how you spell my website where you can get a tarot reading from me you can follow me on twitter at jesse underscore detroit and on instagram where i post a variety of political things and videos of animals my stories at live from detroit Our show art is by Theo Julian Forrester. The music in our theme song is by Kevin MacLeod. And the rest of the music in uh, the podcast. (laughs) The rest of the the music is Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. And until next time, Scatamoosh. We're so good at that. We've gotten much better from the first times we tried to do it. Very true. <laughs>